so there's seven scenarios and each of the scenarios has a number of criteria that need to be met in order for that particular alternative test to apply. And if those criteria are not met, then the business cannot choose to apply that alternative test. If there are multiple tests met, the business can choose which of those to apply. You are listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to run and grow your firm. Welcome to another COVID-19 update of Text Talks, update number 10. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Klaas for sponsoring this episode. To qualify for the JobKeeper payment, you need to show a 30% drop in turnover. 30% if your turnover is below 1 billion and you are not a charity. And for most of you, that test is straightforward. You just compare your turnover in March or April 2020 to your turnover in March or April 2019. Or you compare your June quarter of 2020 to your June quarter in 2019. That is the primary test. But if you don't pass the primary turnover test, then all is not lost. Then there is an alternative test. But until now, it was unclear what this alternative test would look like. Until now, we now have a legislative instrument that lists alternative tests for seven different scenarios. So there is not just one alternative test, but several. And which one you apply depends on your circumstances. It depends on which one of the seven scenarios applies to you. Andrew Henshaw of Velocity Legal in Sydney will walk you through these seven scenarios that allow you to apply an alternative turnover test. This interview was recorded on Friday morning, the 24th of April, 2020. So this alternative turnover test came out yesterday by way of the legislative instrument released by the tax office in a similar way to a tax office each year release determinations about which entities need to lodge tax returns, for instance. So this was registered as a sub-delegated piece of legislation yesterday. So, so we now have guidance. It's now the 24th of April and clients have until the 30th of April to make their JobKeeper submissions at the moment because there's been some extensions of time. It's more just a tax determination or similar? It's not a tax determination. It doesn't look exactly the same as legislation, but in effect, it is legis it should be treated like legislation more than a ruling or a practice statement or that kind of thing. Since it's yeah. not a text determination, I assume it's not TD something. No, it's called, it's got an ID, which is sort of just a technical number with some slashes. Its name is the Coronavirus Economic Response Package, bracket, payment and benefits, end bracket, Alternative Decline in Turnover Test Rules 2020. Bit of a handful, but... Uh, I think the short name would be the alternative decline in turnover test rules. I guess the first point to start with regarding these alternative tests is going back to the rules themselves. So the JobKeeper rules say they provide a, a basic test, which we've been through previously, and, and that's about assessing your projected GST turnover for a certain period and then looking back 12 months ago to, to what it was for that period. And if you, 
If you are sufficiently declined, then you meet the primary test. So always start with the primary test. Yeah. So you start with the primary test. And if you meet the primary test, you do not need to consider any of the alternative tests, even if there may be um, some circumstances to suggest that an alternative test may be more appropriate in your circumstances. The alternative rules make that clear that if you meet the ordinary test, you do not need to go any further. If you don't meet the ordinary test, then we need to consider whether any of these alternative tests would be, would be satisfied. And if any one of those apply and are satisfied, then that's an alternative way of satisfying the rules. Is the explanation that's on the ATO website, is that fairly identical with the actual document? I haven't run the two as a side-by-side -side comparison to each other. I suspect that they will be quite similar. I'm always hesitant to use material published on the ATO's website as gospel. As a lawyer, I will always go to the actual underlying act, or in this case, rules or subdelegated legislation. I will always go to that because sometimes different words are used and it's really important sometimes matters can turn on that. So, so I always go to the, to the instrument itself. In fairness to the ATO, they, they have been doing a very good job of publishing quite a lot of information, frequently asked questions and so forth about the JobKeeper and how it applies in certain circumstances. So in these alternative decline and turnover test rules, we've got a number of different scenarios and we have seven scenarios in total. So if one of these scenarios applies to an entity, it can then assess the criteria in that scenario. As we talked about in a previous tax talk, I did foresee at the time that these alternative tests would not be at the commissioner's discretion, like, a, I guess, like um, 109RB of, the, of Division 7A. And they are actually sort of quite defined alternative rules. And the reason for that is because, well, people need to make an assessment now of whether they do qualify under any of these alternative tests. It's not, it's not really appropriate for it to be left to a discretion that might take weeks or months to be exercised. So we've got seven, seven tests and probably the best way is just to run through each of those tests and, and how they work. Scenario number one, new business. The first test is for businesses that have commenced after a relevant comparison period. So broadly after 1 July, 2019. And that sounds very straightforward. Your ABN was registered after the 1st of July, 2019. What the test says is that this applies if the entity commenced business before 1 March, 2020, but after the relevant comparison period. So it's not strictly about ABNs, it's about whether it commenced business. Now, obviously having an ABN is a pretty good proxy for that, but the test is, did you commence business in this particular window? So for one March, 2020, but after the, the relevant comparison period, which I'm just gonna call one July, 2019 for simplicity. And since it's not linked to a specific ABN, if a sole trader has transferred his business to a company after the start of the relevant comparison period, then they could still, would they then 
apply the alternative test or would they apply the primary test if the business as such hasn't changed, but the legal entity running the business has changed? Well, it's a really good question. And there is actually another test that is potentially more relevant in those circumstances. And that's a bit of a question mark of which one actually to apply. Leaving aside the restructure scenario, if it's merely a case of the business commencing, then what you get is you you have two different um, alternatives that you can choose in that scenario under this alternative test. The first is that you can use average average monthly turnover to date based on when the business started to 1 March 2020. Very few businesses will pass the decline in turnover test if they apply that approach. Hence, I'm very keen to hear what the alternative is. Yeah, you're quite right. So just to, to explain that issue, often when businesses start, their revenues obviously are not huge as at the beginning. So if you take an average of each month, then it may still be weighed down by those first few months. So that's the first test. And, and there is even a subtest in that, that if you're in the situation where your business started between 1 February and 1 March, instead of taking months, you actually take days daily turnover for that period. So a bit messy to apply if you're in the situation where you had a very, very, very new business. Now the second test, the second test essentially looks at the three months GST turnover before one March, 2020. So instead of taking, let's say the business started in August last year and the first four months were pretty slow because it's still starting up. So if you applied that first one, that monthly amount may be a bit lower than it ought to be. You can apply this other test where, where you just look, instead of looking at the average monthly turnover, you can look at the turnover for the three months prior to 1 March 2020. You mean 1 April 2020? No, so it's 1 March 2020. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So, so that means you can't just compare Q3 to Q4. No, no. You actually need to go from December, January, February. Yeah, yeah. That's a bit odd, isn't it? Yep, it's, uh, that's what the rules say in that scenario. So it gives you, it gives you at least a choice between those two. You can either take average monthly, or you can take the three months prior to one March twenty twenty. Okay, so that's the first scenario of a new business. Yep. Scenario number two. Acquisition or disposal? So the second scenario is for where you have business acquisitions or disposals that, um, that have changed an entity's turnover. So for example, let's say you've got a company and operates a business. It did operate a business 12 months ago, but six months ago, the business acquired some new, some new part, to put it vaguely. Um, it acquired some sort of something of a capital nature, I guess, that enhances its essential, uh, you know, profit making operations. Let's say it's a company that has a gym and it has one gym location and it bought a second one six months ago, for instance. This 
second scenario only works in your favor. It doesn't work against you. So if you meet the primary test because you did sell part of your business, then you can then still pass the primary test, even though a major reason of your drop in turnover was not COVID-19, but was the fact that you sold part of your business. Yeah, that's that's quite right. So even though this second alternative test is expressed to concern both acquisitions and disposals, if you meet the primary test, you do not need to consider this. So that's why I wanted to make that point quite clear earlier that if you meet the primary test, you do not need to consider these alternatives. Yes. So that means the second scenario is really only about business acquisitions and not about business disposals. Yeah, it's hard to think of a scenario where you would have a business disposal, but yet be in a more favorable position by applying these rules. I'll, I'll go through them anyway. So what this rule says is it applies if there was an acquisition or a disposal of part of a business after the relevant comparison period, just call it 1 July 2019, and before the applicable turnover test period. And the acquisition or disposal changed the entity's turnover. So what we're talking about here is we're not talking about separate entities with separate businesses. We're talking about one single entity that has parts to its business and either acquisitions or disposals of parts of those businesses. I know I'm I'm making it quite clear that these are quite vague concepts because there isn't any sort of explanation or definition of what a part of a business even is. But if you do meet this threshold criteria, then what you can do is you can use the GST turnover from the month that is immediately after the acquisition or the disposal. So for example, to take that example of the gym that bought a second location six months in, it can then take the turnover of the month after that acquisition happened and use that as a comparison. Two questions. What about if a business is split into two parts? At the start, let's say retail and consulting was both run through one business, but then the business owner set up another company and then moved the consulting business into the second company. Then you would take the original company's turnover just after that had been done and compare to the turnover in the relevant period, correct? Yeah, well, I think I think so for the entity that left has behind. disposed. Yeah, yeah, has, has been left behind, yeah. Okay, good. And then the new entity, of course, is a new entity. So we would go back to scenario one for that entity. Yes. It's also a good segue into the next alternative test, which could apply in that situation as well. It's important to note there are scenarios where multiple alternative tests could apply. And the guidance that we've been given is that when there's multiple alternatives that could apply, you only ever need to satisfy one of them. It's not like, um, for instance, the CGT event rules where you could have multiple CGT events that apply in a situation, but you have to pick the most applicable one. Here, if more than one test applies in your scenario, you only need to meet one of them. So essentially, you can choose which test to apply. That's a scenario on its own about business acquisitions or disposals that change the turnover. And that's strictly just based on 
assess whether there is a acquisition or disposal of part of a business. And if there is, you test the month after the acquisition or disposal happened. So the second scenario just has one alternative yep. test. Yes, yep. Scenario number three, restructure. Next scenario is where you have a business restructure that has changed the entity's turnover. So this test applies if there is a restructure of an entity's business or part of their business after the relevant comparison period, again, 1 July 19, and before the applicable turnover test period. So is there a restructure of their business or part thereof? And does that restructure change the entity's turnover? The example I just used where a business was split into two companies, would you put that under the second acquisition and disposal of a part of a business or would you put it under scenario number three? It's a good question. I think for the entity that that has sold off part of its business to another related party, I think both of those scenarios would apply because it is a acquisition or disposal of part of their business and it is also a restructure of their business. So yes. I think in those scenarios, it would apply, uh, both of them would apply. The result is the same, I should say, before splitting hairs on which test it is, because under this restructure scenario, the alternative test allows you to look at the GST monthly turnover for the month immediately after the restructure occurred. So this scenario number three is just a lot wider, I assume. Yeah, they cover much the same ground, I, I think, at least from, from my initial reflection of, of looking at those tests. And they look at the same end result anyway. So scenario number four, substantial increase in turnover. So the next test is, well, what about when businesses, okay, they existed uh, last year and they haven't sold or bought anything and they haven't restructured, but they've been growing phenomenally fast. They've been, they've been booming. It's been, it's been really good for them. They started maybe, you know, 18 months ago and then yeah, boom time since then. They've rapidly, let's say, brought on staff or built up their business so that their revenues are much higher now than they were 12 months ago. What happens with those sort of businesses? This one's a bit more complex, but this rule is looking at where businesses had a substantial increase in turnover during the last year, essentially. So there are three ways to qualify for this test. The entity needs to have either a 50% increase in turnover in the last 12 months the actual technical term is 12 months immediately before the applicable turnover test period, or it has a 25% or more increase in turnover over the last six months, or it has had a 12.5% increase in turnover over the last three months. So to recap on that, 50% 12 months, 25% six months, and 12.5% in three months. And just one of those need to be met, not all three of those. Last time we spoke, you mentioned that GST turnover is not identical to the GST turnover you use for these turnover tests. 
can you very quickly elaborate what the difference is? There's only some minor modifications to the GST turnover concept. It's, it's more just to make the rules work. It's probably only the most relevant where you have a GST group. We've got multiple entities that are grouped together for, for GST purposes. So in those okay. sort of scenarios, you don't take the group's turnover. You do it on an entity by entity basis, because otherwise, if you follow the normal rules, you actually take the full group. Since we are looking at GST turnover, it means that if you have a lot of customers overseas and you lose that turnover, you might not qualify because you're exempt overseas turnover of course doesn't go into your GST turnover that doesn't count correct yeah I believe I'm not 100% sure on this but my understanding was that GST turnover excludes supplies that are not connected with Australia which my understanding was that was different to a not exactly the same as a GST free export because that could still be connected with Australia despite oh, okay. being GST free. My understanding, and I'm preface it with that I'm, I'm not 100% sure on this, is that the exclusions are more things that completely happen outside of Australia and have no, you might have a business in Australia that has some operations overseas that supply overseas customers and those things would be exempt. What I'm hearing is that where you've sort of got, let's say, Australian-based business that does provide some services to foreign entities. I believe that those are included, but it would be helpful just to sort of see some guidance from the ATO on that point. So if you are an eBay seller or whatever that is, and you, a lot of your sales go overseas, mm. and hence they are a GST-free export, you might still qualify yeah, because I, that turnover is included. Yeah, I believe so that they're generally included. And I understand that it's only really input taxed supplies that are excluded. So back uh, to scenario number four, it's a substantial increase of turnover of 50%, 25% or 12.5% yeah. in the last three, six or 12 months. Yeah, so, so what you can do if you meet that test is instead of looking at what happened 12 months ago, you can look at the turnover for the three-month period just before your applicable turnover test period. So mm -hmm. that turnover test period will, will differ slightly depending on how you're choosing to qualify. So it, for example, it's it, it, in most circumstances, it's probably going to be January, February, and March, or it could be December, January, and February. Just depends on how you how you are qualifying and when. But the important thing to note is you look at the last three months essentially of turnover rather than what happened a year ago. And that applies either on a monthly or quarterly basis. The rules are flexible enough to deal with both situations. So if you're choosing a month, then you take the quarter and you divide it by three. If you're choosing a quarter, then you can just take the quarter. Can I just ask you something off topic there? Yeah. The application for the JobKeeper payment at the moment just asks you about a month. It doesn't ask you about a quarter. But I think that is basically the month from which on you apply for the JobKeeper payment. That is basically your test time, isn't it? It's the months of your test mm -hmm. time. But then the actual test can be done on a monthly or quarterly basis, correct? Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. There's been a sort of a few, I guess, um, things that, that might be a little bit confusing about the application process and the particular words used. But yeah, it's definitely that you could test it either on a month or a quarter. So that's the substantial increase in turnover test. We've then got three more. 
The next one is... Scenario number five, affected by drought or other declared natural disaster. For businesses that have been affected by drought or natural disaster. So this test applies if the entity conducted business or some of its business in a declared drought zone or declared natural disaster zone during the relevant comparison period. So for example, they're a farming business and it was a declared drought zone 12 months ago. Or a bushfire. Or a bushfire or something else terrible. And as a result, that event that happened has changed the entity's turnover. What you can do is you can look at the same period in the year immediately before there was a declaration in place. So if it was not a declared disaster zone or drought zone the year before, then you can look back at that year. And you can keep looking back as far as you need to if it was if it's been multiple years of being declared as a drought zone or natural disaster zone. But it has to be a declared zone. Yes. Because, yep. for example, the bushfire, of course, basically covered the whole of New South Wales and Victoria. So it affected even areas that weren't declared zones. Yeah, so if well, you're that's outside a good of a point. declared zone, then bad luck. That's a good point because, for instance, because it's addressed quite widely, it's, it's businesses that are affected by a drought or natural disaster. It doesn't necessarily need to be a farming business. It could be something that you wouldn't sort of ordinarily think of. You could think of, you know, tourism, for, ex for example, and there could be businesses affected that are not strictly within those zones, but have had sort of been associated with it. You know, tourism figures were quite down all over Australia prior to COVID period anyway, because of Fires. bushfires and sometimes um, flooding. You know, overseas, overseas tourists don't know the difference between, you know, Victoria or Queensland or WA and they think it's all the same. If you are affected by a natural disaster, but you're outside of the declared zone, and I assume it goes by the postcode of your ABN registration, so if you're outside of the declared zone, then you can't apply this test, correct? You can't apply this scenario. Yeah. So so the test is that you conduct business or some of your business in the zone. So it's not strictly where your registered office is or anything of that nature. You would just need to establish that you conduct either your whole business or some of it in that zone. So it's a bit more flexible than strictly where you're where you're registered. But you do need to meet that condition. And if you don't meet that condition, the, the test will not, will not apply. So, for example, as an accountant, if you have a lot of clients in that declared zone, then you would be conducting some business in that declared zone. Yeah, that's a good example. The question then becomes, well, what does conduct business or some of your business mean in that zone? Yeah. There's two more scenarios. Scenario number six, large irregular variants. The next one is for businesses that have irregular turnover but that are not seasonal. They have a regular turnover because it's, it's a lumpy turnover. And my understanding is this is getting at construction industry, building and construction industry more than anything else. So scenario number six is aiming at businesses who don't have a regular turnover, correct? Who are very up during summer and very down during winter for example, so, or the other way around. No, it cannot be cyclical. So it's not, it's not for seasonal type businesses. Okay. It's for businesses that are irregular for other reasons, essentially, that are more or less random. Because some businesses be up in summer, down in winter, and vice versa. It's not intended to apply to those because the reason it's not intended to apply to those is because it's entirely appropriate to look at 12 months ago for, for that, that particular business. 
for example, it could be, um, you know, could be a, a someone associated with the Alpine region in Victoria and New South Wales. That's a very seasonal business, but it's still sort of appropriate to look at what happened 12 months ago because you get lots of people in winter for snow sports and, and the next winter you get lots of people for snow sports as well. It doesn't really matter that it's, it's cyclical type revenue in, in that context. Okay. You, you got me lost here. Putting the season aside at the moment, yep. is it a scenario for businesses that have turnover that goes up and down a lot? Yes, essentially. Yeah. It's for businesses that have turnover that goes up and down a lot. And that variation cannot be Due to um, the season. easily explained, I guess is the easiest way to say it. It's not a consistent pattern of up and down. I can't think of an example. Yeah, look, well, the examples given in the in the explanatory statement are for building and construction. Okay. But, but that what, would still be seasonal. Uh, potentially. Oh, yes, but then again, yeah, well, yes, but you're right. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes yeah. we have an upturn, the property market is booming, and then suddenly there's a mm. big slump. Okay, yeah. yes. Yeah. So what this test says is that to qualify for quarters ending in the 12 months immediately before the applicable period, the entity's lowest turnover quarter, so entity's lowest turnover quarter is no more than 50% of the entity's highest turnover quarter. So we're looking at the 12 months before and we're splitting that up into quarters and we're looking at what is the lowest quarter and what is the highest quarter and what is the difference between the lowest quarter and the highest quarter. And if the lowest quarter is no more than 50% of the highest quarter, then that criteria is met. I know that's complex. So I'll say it one more time. You look at the previous 12 months, assess that into four quarters. Let's say the best quarter was a million dollars. Then the lowest quarter would need to be less than $500,000. To apply this scenario? To meet this criteria. That's the alternative test now. Yes, yes. This is a regular turnover test. So it means to meet that and the entity's turnover must not be cyclical. So just to recap on that, there's two criteria to meet this irregular turnover test. One, the entity's turnover is not cyclical. And two, when you break it all up into quarters, the lowest quarter cannot be more than 50% of the highest quarter. Okay. But that would exclude our construction business because construction is highly cyclical. There's a few question marks on what cyclical really means because it's not defined further. And the example that they give is in the building and construction industry. So they explain something that is cyclical, at least in the explanatory statement, is a farming type of business where, you know, you have seasons and growing periods and things like that. But I guess it's hard to determine what is what is cyclical and what is not. My initial sort of, I guess, guidance is that if it's explained on the basis of seasons, as in because of the weather conditions, that can explain it, that would be something that is cyclical. But it's a bit, uh, except it's, it's quite messy to apply whether something is cyclical or not. But so far, we haven't actually spoken about how the alternative test applies to this scenario. No. So far, we've <laughs> only spoken about when we have this scenario present. And yes. Th we have this scenario present when the lowest quarter 
is not more than 50% of the highest quota. Yes, correct. And so if you meet those, if you get if you get past those and you're satisfied with that, then what you can do is you can take the last 12 months turnover and divide it by 12 and use that instead. Scenario number seven, sick or injured sole trader or small partner. The last scenario is for sole traders and small partnerships that have been affected by sickness, injury, or leave. So for example, for 2019, you might've had a sole trader, but they could have been really crook during the comparison period or away or injured. And as a result of that, their turnover for 2019 was lower than it would have been ordinarily. Why not a sole director of a company? Because they could just as well face sickness, injury or leave. That's a very good question. <laughs> I'm not sure why they're not included. And, and the same argument can be made for a trust as well. Okay, but, but the legislation clearly only speaks about sole trader and small partnership. Yes. So there's three criteria to meet this. You need to be a sole trader or small partnership that has no employees. So sole trader, small partnership, zero employees. Then the sole trader or at least one of the partners didn't work for all or part of the relevant comparison period. And they did not work due to sickness, injury or leave. And finally, the turnover was affected because of that absence due to sick, sickness, injury or leave. And in those scenarios, that scenario, what you can do is you can instead use the GST turnover for the month after the sole trader or partner returned to to work. But that's quite tough because, of course, on the first month after returning to work, the sole trader or partner might still be not yep. 100% at the prime of their life, etc., and hence slowly get into it, might still be partly injured and only working part-time, etc. So I think that's quite a harsh approach. Yeah, Take yeah. Look, months it's, it's, straight after returning. Leaves a few question marks, definitely, because, because well, does return to work mean in a full-time capacity? Does it mean what they were doing previously? Does it mean just at work at all? They could be one day a week. And, and you're quite right that usually when someone has a sort of big event that happens to them, they, they would generally ease back into things. So you're quite right to flag it. That's all we've got. Finally, there is some modifications to some of the, the turnover rules if an entity qualified for the ATO's bushfire lodgement and payment deferrals scheme or received drought help concessions. So if, those, if the business has received those particular concessions, then there are some, some further modifications to the, to the way you calculate things. But I haven't sort of worked through those just yet as this was only released yesterday afternoon. So there's seven scenarios. The first one has two uh, alternatives of, of what you can use to as your alternative calculation. And each of the scenarios has a number of criteria that need to be met in order for that particular alternative test to apply. And if those criteria are not met, then the business cannot choose to apply that, that alternative test. If there are multiple tests met, the business can choose which of those to apply. 
So coming to scenario one, you're not free to choose whether you take the first test or the second test. You are free to choose which, to, okay. which one to take. Yeah. Okay. So with scenario one, you can choose between one or the other. But of course, with all the other scenarios, you are stuck with one test, basically. Yeah, correct. So if your business commenced in the last 12 months, then you can take either an average or the last three months. Most people will take the last three months. Most people are guessing. I suppose the only qualifier to that is that there was, you know, a fair bit of economic downturn in February and January anyway. So yeah, fair that, point. May be, that may be relevant. If you have several companies, this is more about how to apply the JobKeeper test in general. If you have two companies, do you have to look at the downturn? turn of turnover together on an aggregate basis or can you look at the downturn of each company separately so if one company is really booming because they're selling toilet paper and the other business is really struggling because it's retail would you then have to look at both together or can you claim the job keeper with the company that is struggling even though your other company is doing really well so how the rules work is they work on an entity by entity basis so if in your scenario, there was only one single entity, one single company running both of those operations, then they have to be lumped together and that may cause problems. If they are by, done via separate entities, which is often the case, then they are looked at entirely separately. And that is the case. Um, even regardless of sometimes those entities could be within a tax consolidated group, for instance, even if that was the case, they're still looked at on an entity by entity basis. I see. What threw me off was that quite often in the legislation, it says aggregated GST turnover. It's just entity by entity basis. So even if the entities have a GST group, even if they're tax consolidated for income tax purposes, it's still administered on an entity by entity basis. question is it now clear what happened with the online application do you remember how at the start and i haven't been on it today but for the last few days it, it wasn't possible for business participants without employees to register for the job keeper mm. payment has this changed yeah look i'm not sure whether there's been an update on that just yet you're quite right that, in, that at least initially the payments and the applications were focused on people who have employees rather than company that doesn't have employees at all and just has one director who wants to claim. I'm not sure whether that's been updated. And my thoughts are that the ATOs probably prioritize the employee situation first because those entities do need to meet the wage conditions and, and make payments. So whereas if you're a sole trader, although you know the money would still be really good and, and you still wanted to get your application in, there's a bit more flexibility, I guess. One last question, and that is with respect to lodgement. When we went through the um, JobKeeper payment and we looked at the different conditions, we kind of left lodgements aside. Reading through the legislation again, I stumbled across a comment that said, or the way I read it, I'm not quoting the legislation now, but the way I'm reading it at the moment is that you must have lodged your income or company tax return before the 12th of March, or you must have lodged BASIS before the 12th of March. So that 
a company or a sole trader who's an annual lodger wouldn't have lodged best before the 12th of March. And then most likely the income tax return is not due until the middle of May either. So they wouldn't have lodged their income tax return or company tax return for 2019 either. So would that be a problem? This rule applies not in the employment context, but only in the in the business owner context. So the so it only applies to business. This integrity rule only applies to the business participant side of things. So if you're an employer with employees, you don't need to consider this rule about having an ABN at that 12th of March and also having lodged tax returns or BAS statements for previous periods. A sole director without employees, annual lodger for GST and mm. due date for their income tax return in May, then they would have done everything right and they still wouldn't qualify because they didn't lodge an income tax return or a BAS before the 12th of March. Yeah, so what the rules say is that there's an integrity rule for the business owners and they say that an entity, so a company, trust, sole trader, partnership, entity is not entitled unless it had an ABN as at 12th of March and one of the requirements either lodging um, tax returns or providing notice of taxable supplies has been satisfied. Those generally do need to be satisfied by the 12th of March, but there is a discretion that the commissioner can allow further time. It says all a later time allowed by the commissioner. I see. And this later time allowed by the commissioner, does it mean you need to apply or you just enroll and lodge? And then if the money is not coming, then you write to the ATO? What does it look like? I'm not aware of any guidance from the ATO on this particular point, although it may exist. In order to be eligible, you need to have the commissioner actually allow you that discretion. But there may be either already or in future some sort of general guidance that's applied for certain scenarios where there's good reason that people haven't lodged in time. But I would say that if there's no good reason why that hasn't been done, it may be difficult to have that further extension of time. If it's just that the client has been delinquent and had obligations and hasn't met them, I would suspect that it's going to be quite hard for those people to get extensions of time. If it's something where they were a sole trader and they had no requirement to even be registered for GST and their income tax return wasn't due until afterwards, I think that's a much more likely scenario to have that extension of time granted. Welcome back. So if you fail the primary test of just comparing your March or April or Q4 2020 turnover to the one last year, then look for an alternative test. One other thing, I know I had said that this week, starting the 27th of April, we would start our regular episodes again, but you are all still in the midst of COVID-19 and JobKeeper and cash flow boost and God knows what. So please forgive me for pushing our regular episodes out to the 11th of May. Hopefully in two weeks, life starts feeling a little bit more normal again. In the next two updates, we will look at what the COVID-19 measures have done to employment law. What happened to all those employment contracts when the lockdown started? Thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.